Hello, my name is Frank Harrison. I'm the Regional Security Director of North America with World Travel Protection. Welcome to Navigate. In a podcast with Amber Wheatley of TravelX, we talked about Mexico and some of the travel myths that exist in the travel space. Join me as I talk with two WTP colleagues, Stan SQ and Michael Roberts, and we will dispel some of those myths that exist and help you frame your traveling perspective. Michael, I'll get you to introduce yourself first. Who are you? Tell us a little bit about your experience in Mexico. Hey, thanks, Frank. It's great to be with you. Uh, Michael Roberts. I'm the Business Development Director for the South Region for World Travel Protection. I'm based in Houston, Texas, but for most of my professional career, I was living and working in Mexico for a span of uh, over 20 years. So it's a country I know well. I worked in a variety of capacities, and a lot of it was security and risk consulting. So I'm familiar with it both as an expat and as a subject matter expert. Excellent, Michael. Thank you for that. Stan, I'll get you to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background as well. Hi, I'm Stan Askew. I'm Business Development Manager for the East Region for World Travel Protection. been involved in the travel risk management industry for roughly about uh, two decades, traveling to over 26 countries, helping people support travel in high-risk regions and getting from one place to another in the maritime space as well as across the land. Thank you, Stan. So, Michael, Mexico, a lot of myths, a lot of legends, a lot of inaccuracies. Give us an idea what Mexico was for you. Well, you know, I was there when things went from being a medium-risk country to being very difficult in a lot of regions due to increased cartel violence, you know, which really began to kick off around 2008. And over that period of time, some regions have become, like, very dangerous to travel to, and it's not recommended to go to. Uh, the Texas-Mexico border, uh, states like Sinaloa, Michoacan, are very high risk for, for any travelers. Nevertheless, major urban environments where business travelers would go in most tourist destinations, I would carve Acapulco out of that uh, currently. But those areas are still very accessible, very travelable, and with the right security awareness and protocols in place, uh, really safe places to visit. So if a business traveler was going to Mexico, what would be one tool or step they could do to prepare themselves and become educated on Mexico, Michael? Well, I think the most important thing is to become familiar with your environment before you go there. Read up on it as much as you can. A company like World Travel Protection, we have our portal that has a lot of information available online and with the pre-travel advisories. The State Department's also an excellent source of information through the travel advisories that are available on the web. Just Googling State Department travel advisories and a list of countries pops up. And understanding the neighborhood where you will be staying, putting some thought into it, getting good advice on the security atmosphere around your hotel. Or if it's in the case of an Airbnb, understanding where uh, that particular domicile is located. Uh, Also, basic things on the ground, such as understanding what transportation to use, um, hailing taxis off the street, for example, in a lot of urban areas is very risky. Using taxis from approved sites or hotel taxis, or even rideshare services with the right precautions like Uber is really the way to go. Things like that will be a good way to start minimizing some of the risk. Thanks, Michael. Stan, you've got a pretty extensive travel footprint as well. Just reflecting on what Michael just shared with us, 
Can you share with us some common sense tips for people when they're on the ground, regardless of where they are traveling? Certainly. One of the things that we would primarily do when we were setting together a travel plan is to initially start with the first steps of checking your travel resources. So, for instance, if you look at a hire car, is inspecting that hire car before you get in it. Are you looking at something that's got bald tires? Have you checked to make sure your seat belts work, your locks work, that you have a spare in place for it? All the safety precautions, because that is the vehicle that's going to get you out of harm's way. It's amazing to me that even today when I'm traveling in the United States, how many people I see that just are staring at their phone and just hopping an Uber without taking these type of considerations as well. So awareness, focusing on what you're actually supposed to be doing. So, Michael, that's a good segue into the perception that everybody's going to get kidnapped in Mexico. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, the 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 press has rightly pointed out areas in Mexico where kidnapping is really an issue. But I think it's easy to misconstrue that, that any traveler going to Mexico is at risk of a kidnapping. The reality is that the vast majority of kidnappings that take place in Mexico and around the world, actually, are, 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 are local nationals, not foreign nationals or visitors. It's the statistics ridiculous, like 95 percent local nationals. So that a visitor, even a business traveler being kidnapped for kidnapped for ransom is uh, very unlikely. But there are other scenarios like an express kidnapping where they might be exposed. You know, an express kidnapping is essentially a very prolonged mugging where somebody takes you and keeps you captive and withdraws the maximum amount on your debit card uh, until the account's empty. And that could be for a matter of days. And travelers are susceptible to that if they aren't aware of their surroundings and don't take the right precautions about how to go about withdrawing money and what they carry on their persons. So taking the idea of familiarity and what's going on around you, Stan, can you expand on what a traveler should be doing to be familiar with their surroundings when they're traveling? Well, as Michael said before, understand the neighborhoods that you're going to, understand the resources that are available. A lot of people assume when they go to some of these regions that a lot of the resources like police and emergency services are going to be the same as they are back home. And then oftentimes it's very different, whether it be the jurisdiction they operate in, how many of you have available. So there are a lot of things that you need to do to care for yourself. And part of that comes with having an emergency plan in place and letting people know your travel plans so that they can be aware if those are disrupted and just making sure to be knowledgeable of where you're going. That includes not only studying the State Department and other things, but talking to some of the folks in the region. Talk to your folks in your hotel. See if there are certain neighborhoods that they recommend that you don't frequent. Talk to some of your folks that work in the offices around that region. Ask them what the local conditions are and if there are certain times that you shouldn't travel because there might be agitated states, such as certain anniversaries and others. So mainly it's knowledge is power and having resources you can call that. So knowledge is power. And Michael, when we look at Mexico, there's this attitude that some people travel to Mexico with, that it's a bit of a free-for-all, that you can do things in Mexico that you can't do at home. Can you reflect on some of the things that you were a witness to or you had to deal with while you were working in Mexico with people going in and not 
respecting the local culture and local laws. Yeah, that's a really good point, Frank. There, There is a perception that anything goes and that it's lawless and there aren't rules. And if you do find yourself in trouble, it's an easy situation to get out of. And, and that is really not the case. In fact, there are more risks of in, in doing things, going to areas where you shouldn't go, uh, taking drugs that are a lot higher than, than they would be if, if you did it elsewhere. Uh, getting caught up with the law in Mexico, with the police, can be a very difficult and dicey situation. Often police, with an excuse to detain you and uh, apprehend you, they're often part of the crime problem. And then you could actually find yourself in a small kidnap situation or, or certainly a robbery. And it's really a question about the traveler using common sense and not behaving in a way that puts them at that sort of risk. And what does that mean? Understanding what restaurants and bars not to go to. Uh, the ones that they go to, being aware of their surroundings, uh, being aware that they may need to identify the safest exit route in case something goes wrong inside of the establishment. Essentially, respecting the law and respecting the country and the people uh, and not doing anything that you wouldn't do in your home country is really the way to, to avoid any complications. So following on that concept of respect, then Stan, can you draw on some of your experiences and give us a couple of examples of how when someone goes into an area, you know, respect becomes king, the same as the U.S. dollar is king? Absolutely. It's being sensitive to the cultures you're traveling in especially at times now where there's a lot of division in between different challenges that are going on in the world. People have different perspectives on it, depending on their upbringing and their individual beliefs. And it's respecting that sometimes you can have conversations in other countries that maybe will not go in a particular direction you expect them to go. So it's real important to not only understand the dynamics of geopolitics, but also understand the local customs in there, how things operate, what can be insulting to certain people. You go in certain regions, and as an example, if you don't finish your plate of dinner in some countries, they can insult people thinking that their food isn't good enough, whereas in other countries, if you eat it all, that means they haven't fed you enough. So it's just minor things that you need to understand about a culture. Make sure you don't offend. Make sure you are a good visitor. Pretend like you're going to your mother's house, essentially, and just behave yourself. So it's always about the little things. So if we look at the world's changing and you know, we look at how during the pandemic things have shifted in Mexico and other places around the world, now we have this new dynamic of new types of work environments, working from home and the various parts of that that are still moving, and then digital nomads. So, Michael, if you think about what the term digital nomad is, and there's a lot of organizations in Mexico that are encouraging people to use that term to go down and work and play in the different resort areas of Mexico, what would you recommend as the top three things for someone who wants to be a digital nomad in Mexico to be aware of? Um, a lot of it comes down to just keeping track of where your equipment is at all time. I mean, if you are working abroad and, and you're visible with a laptop and a cell phone, you can set yourself up for opportunistic crime and having those things stolen from you. 
Um, also, deciding on, on where you're going to be staying is critical. Being in an area that's easy to return home from in case you have to for some reason, for example, in a major city with an international airport, would probably be a wiser choice than a remote beach destination that where it would be difficult to get home in a hurry if you needed to for work or personal reasons. And uh, also ensuring with your employer that being a digital nomad is congruent with uh, work policies. Oftentimes companies are concerned about uh, IT security, for example, or uh, risks that are inherent in somebody traveling abroad to do work when it's not precisely a work-related trip. So I think those are the th- some of the things that should be looked at. But also, if you're a digital nomad, you'll be tend to spending more time in a certain area. And depending on that area, you, you might stand out and call a little more attention to yourself from people who might see you as a target for opportunistic crime. So that means you need to be just that much more aware of your surroundings and who you're associating with and who you speak with. And, uh, you know, and lastly, wherever you decide to stay, if you're being a digital nomad, it's likely that you're in Airbnb or, or something similar, uh, ensuring that the house is, is, has some proper security, uh, that you, you'll be safe there, that your belongings will be safe there. Thank you for that, Michael. So Stan, Let's look at uh, the scenario of a digital nomad that wants to live aboard a boat. What kind of insights do you have for someone who wants to go onto the uh, onto a sailboat or a small pleasure craft? Understand that there's going to be limited connectivity. I know that on a lot of resources that we used, whether you're talking a very large cruise ship to a container ship to, as you said, a yacht or a small sailboat, a lot of people anticipate that they're going to have the same connectivity that they do when they're on land, and it does work up very limited bandwidth to work with. So a lot of things that you could do, such as this video call right here, you can't do when you're out at sea or even close to shoreline. So it's just respecting your limitations and adjusting your work environment. So respecting our limitations. Michael, you lived in Mexico. You've got about 20 years' experience there. If we reflect on limitations, if you could give three pieces of advice to travelers, especially business travelers, what would it be? Primarily, you know, don't be so intimidated by the security environment that you're not maximizing both your professional opportunities and your personal opportunities for experiencing things in the place that you're visiting with a proper preparation and understanding. There's no reason to not fully enjoy the, the trip that you're on, be it for business or pleasure, and to maximize the business opportunities you have there. So it would be to follow through some of the things that we've discussed regarding familiarizing yourself with the area and the risks and um, how to keep yourself as safe as possible. Uh, the second thing would be to be really realistic about what you are concerned about when it comes down to where you believe your risk exposure is. We talked about, you know, kidnapping, very unlikely that you're in a situation where you'll be kidnapped for ransom. But if you are in the habit of taking money out of an ATM and an ATM that's on the street late at night and you are hailing a cab, it might be surveilling you and goes by, you know, off the street, you could really be at risk for an express kidnapping, even though you're a foreigner. So doing things like ensuring that you're taking money out at an ATM that's inside a secure location, like your hotel lobby, 
probably doing it much earlier in the day than late at night, since midnight is when the limits flip over for money that's being taken out out of an ATM. And, and definitely not doing it on the street and, and taking a, hailing a cab off the street. That would minimize that. And uh, it's just common sense procedures, just remembering that security is always an issue, but generally the incidents that people come across when they're traveling are far more medically related than they are security related. I mean, crime happens, but it's just likely that you, you run out of your medication if you don't plan properly for it, or you just indulge too much and drink too much and you're out in the sun too much if you're on holiday and that's what prompts a, a physical crisis with an underlying condition that wasn't diagnosed or uh, just you know sim simply that you didn't really think through what to do in case of an emergency and you find yourself wondering well i'm sick now who do i call who do i go to can i can I call the police here or is there, or should I not call the police in this certain situation? And that goes back to the pre-trip preparation of understanding the environment in which you'll be operating. Yeah, the pre-trip's important. And I've spent a lot of time in Mexico. And one of the things that was reinforced to me was never get into a cab that has a second person into it, especially at night or in the evening. It was always that precursor to an express kidnapping. So Taking that uh, note, Stan, uh, do you have any tips or piece of advice you'd like to share? I think a lot of it relates to time as well. Give yourself extra time when you're traveling, especially nowadays. There's going to be longer lines at the airport. There's going to be more delays along the way. So give yourself a little bit of extra time to be patient, but also anticipate that extra time. So anticipate that your trip might be delayed uh, for a few extra days. So take your extra medication, make sure that you've got extra clothes, extra resources, so it doesn't necessarily become a stressful environment to work with. Also, if you're traveling with a group, understand how your group feels about that travel. You may not be overly concerned about some of the dangers there, but, but they might be. And you want everyone in your group to work as a team and get safely to where you're going. And as we said before, just be respectful. Everybody right now is having trouble reintegrating into life in this post-COVID world, and everybody gets a little bit anxious a little bit quicker. So just be patient and be respectful. Thanks, Dan. Risk tolerance. That's something that I think between the three of us, we have a very strong threshold for. But the average traveler, it's interesting to bring that up about checking in with the other travelers in your group, because what we may consider the norm maybe the extreme for somebody else. So one last uh, question for you then, uh, Michael, is if we look at that term, what's the norm? Would you like to make a comment on that? Well, I think the norm on risk tolerance is that the, I, I've, I've always found that there are two types of travelers that, that tend to have a higher exposure to risks. And and one is the ones that are naive and aren't used to traveling and haven't done any of the prep work and don't know what they're getting into. And then they end up stumbling into situations just out of um, not being prepared and not knowing their environment. And counterintuitively, the other group is the very experienced traveler that just takes things for granted because they, they just think, well, I know this. I've got muscle memory. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time. And particularly after a long time without traveling, when they become the rusty traveler and things have changed so much on the ground in so many different areas over a period of time where they might not have traveled, uh, they can fall into a false sense of security 
And that experience could actually end up being uh, a really weak spot for them. So uh, as Dan mentioned, um, being aware of your own risk tolerance, and, and but also being aware of uh, folks around you and take into account what they're thinking and maybe they're picking up on something that you aren't uh, and think about that. But also um, follow your instincts because sometimes uh, if your gut check says there's something doesn't feel right about this situation, maybe I, I shouldn't get in this vehicle, maybe we shouldn't walk down the street, uh, you, you just might be picking on something that you absolutely should follow and trust that instinct. So Stan, following on that comment about the rusty traveler, uh, what would be your closing remark? I think everybody's going to look at a situation in a different way. Anytime you're moved out of your environment, it's going to unsettle you a little bit. One thing I always like to recall, I had a good friend of mine that managed a large security operation in Nigeria. He was involved in compounds, involved in armed escorts and moves like that. And then he got transferred to Houston, and he was actually more scared in Houston because he didn't know at night where he could stop for gas with his family in his car. So anytime you change your environment, whether it be temporary, whether it be a long-term relocation or permanent move, there's going to be time to adjust. There's going to be time to actually look around and find those areas, like Michael said, where the hair on the back of your neck stands up. Find those places where you can be comfortable and let your hair down a little bit. Just give yourself that time. Take time to study, take time to talk to people about your environment, and you'll be all right. Thank you for joining us. In this episode, we focus on travel realities over myths with real-world experiences. Looking for the best travel podcasts to inspire your upcoming adventures while also helping you travel smarter? Listen to Navigate, the top travel podcast that enhances the way you explore the world found on our worldtravelprotection.com travel assist hub. In each episode, our World Travel Protection hosts speak with a travel industry expert. Today I had two. We're experienced everyday travelers to bring you thought-provoking travel insights, experiences, and advice, helping empower you to travel the world confidently. Until next time, I am Frank Harrison.